0: Flyers Daily with Jason Martinez. Welcome to another edition of Flyers Daily, uh, Monday, August 29th. This is our last episode. Wait, is there 31 days in August, Bill?
1: 31 days in August,
0: 30 in September. Damn. Okay, one more episode in August coming up on Wednesday. But anyway... uh, it is a Monday edition, and you just heard him right there. Let's bring him in right now. Let's get right to the business. Mondays with Meltzer. You read his work on NHL.com, PhiladelphiaFlyers.com, and HockeyBuzz.com. It is Bill Meltzer. Bill, how are you doing? I am doing well. How about you? I'm doing well. I feel just uh, out of the barn all weekend for uh, four hockey games for my cut, my son's U16 team, which I coach. and. Uh, I feel good, better today than I did yesterday. Let's just put it that way. <laughs> and it's a results oriented business. Um, but where I want to start with you is the the signing of Wade Allison, because this kind of lingered, Bill, and it kind of maybe slipped off people's radar a little bit. Uh, what was the hang up and why it took a little bit longer? And what do you think of the deal?
1: Well, yeah, you know, with... with uh... Wade's contracts are just a little bit more her situation, not the contract itself, but the situation just a little more complicated than with some other players. You know Wade is going to turn twenty five in October. You need to be fair to both sides, you know, because he's shown flashes of NHL ability. I've been mean, you know being a pretty effective NHL player in little spurts before you repeat all the injuries. The injuries have been really. You know, any, you know, the Flyers would tell you that Wade probably would have been the NHL a few years earlier, if not for the injuries in college and the injuries have continued at the pro level. So, you know, you have to, you have to, um, take that into account, but you also have to take the player's ability level into account too. And so they ultimately came up with a two-year deal, year one being a two-way contract and year two being a one-way contract, um. And you know, I mean, that that really works out. I, I did. Some people did say on on Twitter, well, he's taking a pay cut, but he really isn't because you think about last season, he only spent one day in the NHL, one game. Now, now you can't send a, an injured player down, so he was making the NHL rate, you know, while he was on season opening injured the injured list at the start of the season. But for all practical purposes, he made AHL money last year. So, you know, so really, especially come year two it's a, it's guaranteed money injured, healthy or or whatnot. So I think, I think it's fair to both sides. It's short term being two years is a chance to show we can stay healthy and then hopefully, you know, make much more in a future contract.
0: Yeah. I mean, that's the big key when it comes to Wade uh, is the staying healthy part, Bill. I mean, I saw some people tweet out when he signed the deal and it was announced that don't play him in the rookie game, but you can't deal with the guy. You can't put, you know, in bubble wrap. Got to play. You got to play at some point. I mean, like an injury can happen anytime. You can, you can slip getting out of the shower, or you know, in and hockey, it can happen in practice as easily as it can happen in a game.
1: Yeah, for sure, and I and that's exactly. I, I don't believe you can bubble wrap players. You know, hockey players play hockey. It's what they do. It's what they want to do. You know, they're they're wired that way. Now, you know, there would be some situations where you know it might not be smart to play a guy just just like. Uh, whatever he was just, just cleared. Maybe he could use a little more practice time or, or whatever there. But I mean, out weight is healthy now. Um, hopefully it stays that way. That's really, really always been the issue um, to me. Uh, obviously staying healthy is part of the equation. The other part of the equation is finding that balance between where, you know, he he's ultra aggressive to the point of risking injuries, maybe unduly. Um, like one of his injuries last year was on a play where, you know, really he was, he, you know, I, I'm not. Gonna use it. it was he was hustling. He was hustling in the play, but it was a play where the play was already over, and he got injured along the boards. Um, you know, just just those just those kind of things where, you know, you when he has an injury history, you don't want him seeing, seeing him taking foolish chances. But there's a way he has to play. He has to push the envelope a little bit to be effective. You know, last. Yeah. Last season, I mean, the the guy could not stay healthy two straight weeks until late in the season. Late in the season, though, he, he stayed healthy for the final month, and um, he was much less effective. And not, not I'm saying he was playing not to get hurt, but I I think he was conscious of all the injuries during the season, and I think I think he just has to go out and play, you know. Yeah. And um, that that that's always been the thing. That's always been the thing with Wade. It's just that the style that he plays. Does put the player at a certain amount of injury risk, um, but he also has to be effective too. So, uh, you know, I, I think in the final for the Phantoms last year, and I, I think over the, about the final eleven, twelve games, he only had two or three points. Yeah, that's not like Wade. No, that's not like way. He's a better player than that. Yeah. So, yeah.
0: Yeah, you're going into that contract year too, and you don't want to get another injury into your summer and. Start with you know start your off season with a rehab and a contract negotiation and all of those things, and you know the thing about him too, like in the NFL they would call that you got to make a good business decision. Like when a running back goes, am I going to take contact here or am I going to step out of bounds? I may get another half a yard, and if I really needed it, I would. But sometimes I'll just step out of bounds. I'll take one less hit, and sometimes you have to make those decisions for your for your ability to answer the bell game in and game out. And we hope that he can stay healthy and. I think he's a pretty important piece for this team with a lot of young guys kind of trying to cut their teeth and make the team, you know, so injuries bill we've talked about them so much and how much the effect of that was last year on what we saw. It was part of it. It wasn't all of it, but it was part of it for sure. So the flyers, you know, we, we heard the term open check in that press conference. I believe it was in January with Dave Scott and Chuck Fletcher. Some people perceive that as open check to get players, but there's a salary cap. It's not in reality, but open check was, Part of the the deal to make the off-ice amenities and off-ice life for the players more attractive and, you know, leave no stone unturned. And the Flyers in this past week made a hire of uh, Ian McEwen. Uh, He's created a new senior position to implement and oversee comprehensive athlete performance and a wellness program, including training, sports medicine, rehabilitation, sports psychology, sports science, nutrition, and more. Uh, This hire is, uh, I mean, this is... There's a lot of boxes there, he's checking. Um, and I, I'm a big believer in sports science and those kind of things. And uh, this is a big hire for the team,
1: yeah. You know, you're seeing more and more of these kind of multi area oversight positions around professional sports. Um, you know, he's uh, he comes from Australia, I guess, originally from Ireland. But he was he was in uh, Australian real Australian rules football for a number of years, but it's doing doing the same kind of a job where you know you're working with team doctors, you're working, um, you're working with trainers, you're working even even with the analytics staff a little bit too. So it's a, it's really kind of a you know it's a new position, um, and we'll see how we'll see how all that works. But it's kind of it's kind of the way that, that sports sports are going to a large extent.
0: Yeah, Chip Kelly, when he came in and took that job with the Eagles, he was a big sports science guy. And, I mean, from the smoothies and and the the sleep monitoring, all of that stuff, um, I think is important. And it, it's a good way to prevent injuries to know when players' bodies are taxed. And injury is more susceptible to happen if the body is heavily taxed than when it's not.
1: Yeah, they one of the things they've been measuring, uh, players wear the monitors, they measure workload, they measure performance you know performance efficiency um and one thing they've found not just in hockey but in other sports too is that as you said as a player gets taxed as the workload increases and as the capacity decreases the likelihood of an injury goes up significantly now you know it's no secret the flyers have been absolutely riddled with injuries uh, a lot of it truthfully jason i think it's just sheer bad luck yeah but you can only you know but at a certain point when there's a when injuries hit a certain volume, I think you have to look at every way you can to hopefully reduce it. I mean, it's really, it's too critical. It's it's too critical. Yeah. You you can, you know, you have to take every precautionary step you can, any kind of proactive step you can in reducing in reducing the risk. So I think, you know, I think that's the goal. Ultimately. I mean, one of the things he'll be involved in
0: too, Bill, I imagine pretty highly is going to be when guys also return from injury. Because, you know, we saw some guys come back in the lineup, go back out, you know, kind of yo-yoing back and forth. And you want to ensure when a player comes back that his body, his mind, all of that is ready to come back. So he doesn't have that yo-yo of going back and forth. Because I think the mental toll that the yo-yoing can take on a player is is pretty significant, too. And that's the sports psychology part as well.
1: Yeah, yeah, yes. And that's also a component of it, too. There's also... Truthfully, Jason, there's also an educational component to it mm-hmm. as well because players are wired to want to play, if at all possible. And, you know, an element uh, of a player rehabbing, getting back in the lineup, always was, and probably always will be to a degree, self-reporting. How are you feeling, yeah. right? And they'll they'll downplay anything that, uh, you know, even there's a twinge or not, a, uh, I'll, I'll be fine. I'll be fine. I feel much better. And, you know, the self-report is important and the competitiveness is important, but there also needs to be a degree of honesty and self-realization too, where hey, maybe I'm not ready to come back yet. Um, you know, I mean, honestly, and it's not the not a point of finger at a player again, because players are just wired to compete. But I think uh, you know, I think a guy like Joel Farabee may have come back a little bit too early last season at in, in one point. So just you know, just just as one example. And it's cause he wants to be out there. But I think that uh I think you you weigh all the factors. And maybe the self-report takes on a little less importance when you have the the other elements that that go into a decision about when he returns.
0: Yeah, you have this new age science to almost back it up in a way. Because uh, you're right, you know, players, I mean, professionally, they sing for their supper. So they're, they're playing for a job at all points and availability is incredibly important. Now with Wade Allison, Bill, as we get ready for training camp here in just a couple of weeks, you know, he's a guy that's going to be trying to battle for a spot on this team. So I want to ask you, you know, who is battling for a spot on this team, and how many spots are they battling for? Well, Certainly,
1: Wade Lezins- Tanner Lozinski is battling Lezinski. for a spot. Yep, yep. Um, Isaac Ratcliffe and Isaac Ratcliffe mm-hmm. is not waiver exempt anymore, so um, I don't think the Flyers are going to make the decision based on who's waiver exempt. But sometimes, if, sometimes if it's really close, but we can keep both guys in the organization, it could be an ongoing competition. If you're, you know, if you have, and waivers are so unpredictable. Yeah. You know, uh, a couple of years ago, Flyers waived uh, Nikob A.Q. Bell. He, he passed through waivers. Another you know, last year, he was waived early in the season. He got claimed. Um, you know, they had a they've had other situations where there have been guys they've been concerned about losing, who've gotten through. And then when year are Martel was claimed. So, you you, you know, any time you're putting a guy on waivers, it just takes one team saying, hey, this guy can play for us. Mm-hmm. You know, scout and, and the
0: organization maybe liked him back when or whatever.
1: Exactly. Exactly. So that that is that is a factor to keep an eye on that uh, Radcliffe, you know, Radcliffe uh, would have to pass their waivers. Allison would not. Lazinski would not. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think I think those are your main guys competing. You know, I I also think that, uh, you know, if some of the young guys stand out and with uh, Nick Delorier, he's pretty much a lock to make the team. So I think I think all of a sudden uh, Zach McEwen might be playing for a job too. Yeah. You know, it's uh I yeah, I, I think that um you know I I think that based upon what we saw last year, Noah Cates has a good shot at making the team. Um but I don't I don't think it's a lock. I, I would put him so he's competing for a job to an extent, but I think I think given his two way ability and some of the some of the you know, little things that he brings, he has a pretty good shot making team. So I would say four or five guys competing for, you know, for well, you have a thirteen if you're carrying a thirteenth forward, which they may which they may not, Jason, they may actually carry twelve to start the season. Um because they start out at home, so they might not need the extra yeah. body. um and on you know, on defense, um, you know, I think that, that picture is fairly clear, but uh you know, you may you, who knows? I mean, so, you, know, you in and a single injury can change the picture. So, for example, yeah. there's an injury in camp, then all of a sudden maybe Zamula is in the picture to start the season with the team. Yeah. It's rare you get through a preseason with no injuries, you know. Yeah. So, you know, so that that changes in a hurry. But I think I think for forwards, you know, four or five guys competing for maybe three, three, three spots, three spots in the starting twelve.
0: Yeah, you want to ever know what in hockey what a successful preseason is? It's one with no injuries. Exactly. <laughs> it's nothing to do with wins and losses. Yeah, sure. uh, two guys you didn't mention: Cam York, Morgan Frost. There's no, there's no question that they're rostered players
1: heading into the season, correct? Yeah, and well, Frost would have to clear through waivers at this point too. Yeah, and you're not going so, to. So you you would trade you would trade them sooner than you'd risk that. Yeah. Um, no, you know, Morgan to me is playing for power play time. He, he's you know, playing to play with skill guys and, and being your starting 12 and not a, not potentially scratch. But I think I think he makes the team. And, and I, I think Cam York certainly makes the team too. Uh, I, I think York probably starts out on the third pair. with if you're figuring that your top four would be Ivan Provorov uh, with Tony D'Angelo in the first pair and uh, Travis Sandheim with Rosman Swistelina in the second pair. So your third pair as of now Looks like it would be Cam York and and Justin Braun.
0: And, you know, with Cam, that's a player that I'm really excited to see under Torts because we saw what Torts did with a very young Zach Warinsky. Now, they're not the same player, but Torts didn't, you know, you wouldn't think a a veteran coach like that would have an appetite for a guy, a young player to make some plays that may incur a little bit of risk from his blue line. But that's not the case and Cam York I think is the guy that's going to be really intriguing to watch under John Tortorella.
1: For sure. Uh you know and and we'll hold John Tortorella's word here. What he said is he's fine with creativity but I want something in return. You have to embrace the structure part mm-hmm. of it and then when we have the puck, make plays. And mm-hmm. and you know, as long as as long as it's a 2 way street like that, he'll be just fine. Same thing with Morgan Frost too. Yep. Uh, you know and I I actually think that the experience with Mike Yo last year, I think Mike Yo was great preparation for, for Morgan to play for John Tortorella because the everything that the Yo you know emphasized with Morgan was about structure
0: and, and the tenants that Torch lives by.
1: Yeah, ex- yeah, exactly, exactly. Embracing structure, process oriented, be the first on the pot, keep your feet moving, and then you know you do those things consistently you'll get rewarded. You'll get, you'll get out of the power play. You'll, you know, you'll, you'll be out with skill guys. And that's what happened. That's why late in the season, he was, by then he'd shown he was, did brace the other thing. And, you know, he finished strong. Now he has to carry that over. Everyone's proving themselves all over again, but the, but the blueprint is there for doing it.
0: Yeah. I I look at it. It's like a retractable dog leash. The more you give me, the more I'm going to let the leash out, <laughs> you know, you're going to get more room to run, if you will. Um, sure. And those two players are going to be very intrigued. There's a lot of great storylines heading into this camp, which we talked about and we'll continue as uh, we get closer and closer. And then obviously we start to see those things kind of develop. One of the episodes I did last week, Bill, I wanted to look at, you know, the players that can benefit the most with the John Tortorella, Bradshaw, and Rocky Thompson with, with this coaching staff. And as I kind of rack my brain through all of it, I see a lot of different avenues where I go, this guy could really benefit, whether it's Travis Konechny or even Sandheim, even further to build off of last year or Proveroff or whoever. But the one I keep coming back to, and probably chalk when you're talking about me, is the goaltender and the position of goaltender. And you know, Carter Hart's the main guy. And I look back at Torts' teams to look at two things. And I went all the way back. I didn't go Tampa because that's really early. But I went his his Rangers tenure, his one year in Vancouver, and I went with his tenure in Columbus. And, you know, he's only had one year for all those teams. And I think that's 13 seasons. One year where his team had a goals against average above three. One. And of those 13 seasons, seven of them, the shots on goal, were below 30 per game. Only four were above it. Now, we do know about towards teams is this. In New York, he had Henrik Lundqvist. In Vancouver, the one year, Roberto Luongo. Both guys are going to the Hall of Fame. And in Columbus, he had Sergei Bobrovsky. And he had Jonas Korpisalo, who had a good year in his first year there in 2014-15. But when I look at those numbers, that's what he can bring to the table right away. And Carter Hart, it's not just about the shot total or the goals against average, because I think save percentage is more indicative of a goaltender's success. But in a way... This this is one of those situations where the environment should be much improved and we should see the numbers improve, not only matching what our eyes see.
1: Yeah, for sure. And, there, you know, there's there's some empirical evidence of that in, in Philadelphia even. You know, uh, the, the first year under Elaine Vigneault, we, we've talked about this in other podcasts where the Flyers were the NHL's stingiest team in shots allowed that year. Um, They were number seven in goals against average, also number seven in goals goals per game. Goalie can't really control the uh, the goal support he gets, but if, but if the Flyers can embrace something like that to where and you don't you don't even have to be number one and shot you know of shots a, against or you know you do I think you sh- you should ideally be top ten top half and goals against average, but if, but if you, but they can do those things so that he's not always uh, I, you know I, I think some you know one of the things is some of the goalie metrics. Um, I, I, the goalie metrics are are harder to apply than than is for position players because even things like uh, you know saves saves above replacement and some of those other things too. Well, what else happened in the game, right? You, if you give up a couple of uh, backdoor goals where plays break down in front of you, you're gonna be you're gonna be you know aware about it. you need to get over to the other side and, and then cause and the time, yeah yeah yeah, if cause and effect right, and then something sneaks by you that ordinarily would have stopped. And it count, you know, that counts against you in terms of like letting in, in terms of a preventable goal. But maybe that goal never even happens if the structure in front of you is better. And I, I don't think you I think you can really totally unravel it. That's why I don't think there's a, a perfect way to segregate goaltending from team play. I think mm-hmm. I think the two are always gonna be closely tied together. Um I think Carter Hart has shown that when a team gives him a chance, he'll give them a chance and you know and and so yeah and I, so i think carter hart could significantly benefit from a john Tortorella system and you know i don't i don't really know how things went from where they were a couple seasons ago to being as bad as it got because it, you know not only, not only did they did they lose some of the that tight structure they had a couple years ago it, it, it disintegrated completely i mean it was Oof. <laughs> it's like they never had it to begin with so yeah. you know so that that has to be established it's going to start day one in camp um you know turn is going to be in guys faces he's going to challenge he's going to challenge players and um part of it is part of it's just a feeling out process he's going to challenge everybody yeah you know yeah. and, and so big time.
0: yeah Yeah, i know he said this past week uh or recently he said, it's going to be a very difficult camp. High-volume skating, we're attacking it. I'm approaching each and every day to try and make each individual player play better. And, uh, I mean, that that's the way to attack it. And, you know, the goalies uh, as well. And it's going to be, you know, the interesting part, too, with the goaltending element of it. You know, you're right about that. the The metrics and goals saved above and this and that, you know. I tend to go by ClearSight analytics data a lot and stuck to Steve Aliquette quite a bit who I've had on my other show and he's got 26 points of data, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. I mean, he's a former goalie played under torts. As a matter of fact, with Henry Lundquist too. And, you know, he looks at all of those things of not only did the puck cross the slot line, but traffic and rebounds and layered screens. There's so much that goes into it. You can't just apply it like a, uh, like a template and have it work. So I'm looking forward to see what that element can do for Carter Hart, too, because the last two seasons, I think it would bruised him a little bit, Bill. Um, yeah. But that, I don't think they have broken him. And I think that's evidence based on, you know, the numbers that came out of 2021 with that 877 save percentage to bounce back and have a 905 last year. And I thought he started off really good. So I think he's a guy that can, you know, there's still more go- to go in his game. He's still young, but I think he's a guy that can really kind of grab a foothold here if the environment's much better.
1: Yeah. Uh, listen, the the Carter Hart we saw last year up through the All-Star break when he was at a nine fifteen save percentage and an unstructured environment. And I said you know, the, I really thought that the way the team played in front of him probably cost him one percent on a save percentage. Then then all of a sudden he even it was half a percent, so it would have been nine twenty. Yeah. You know? So I I think that's I think that's the real Carter Hart. I, I really do. And the, the now he wasn't very good after the all star break. He also had further injuries. That that concerns me. Hart staying healthy. Yeah. Not the talent level and not, not, not his work ethic, not his technique, none none of it. I think I think he's I think he's a very good young goalie. Still a young goalie. I mean, you if you think about it there you, you know, he's he's only the age now. We you mentioned Lundquist. He's only the age now when Lundquist was coming to the NHL as a rookie.
0: Yeah. You know?
1: Uh he's a, goalies tend to mature later anyway, so you know, I I think that uh, Carter Hart should be. Uh, you know, you can't you can't put an exclamation point on it until he shows it. But uh, of all the questions on the team, Hart's ability is not really high on my list of questions. They're more just in terms of again staying healthy. How many games you're going to get out of them What's the backup situation going to look like? But can Carter Hart play at a high level? He absolutely can because he's shown it at times.
0: Yeah, and we we saw it in the bubble. We saw it against Montreal, we saw it against the Islanders, and he just turned 24, 16 days ago. Um, So most goalies aren't even in the NHL at that point. The other thing about him, the the professional way in which he handles himself, I think, is huge. So next thing, Bill, last thing. I got this um, DM from a buddy of mine who I grew up playing hockey with Stad actually started the hockey program at Malvern prep in the 70s um, Ed Riddy, And he goes by at OC stagger on Twitter. And he always sends me great stuff and I appreciate the content here. So I'm going to put you through his paces. Right. He says, uh, I've got one of the, one uh, of my buddies and I discussed these. He said, here's the first one. Which one of these three would you want for the flyers this season? Number one, top 10 in goals against average in the league. Number two, top 10 save percentage in the league or number three, top 10 rank of special teams. What does Bill Meltzer say to that?
1: Well, I think you have, I think you have to start five on five, you know, and and if the goals against is there, the save percentage should probably be pretty close to a two. Yeah. Uh, I'll take the team stat. I'll take the, you know, the team goals against. Um, So I I, I would put it there. Now special teams If you're top 10 in both, you have a good chance of being a playoff team too. Mm Mm-hmm. But um, so much of the game is really predicated on your five-on-five your five process. I think that has to be fixed. I think yeah. that's the first thing to fix. So that, that's where I would go. I would go with team team goals against. But but acknowledging that, obviously, every area he mentions is
0: really important. Yeah, I mean, 90% of the game is played five-on-five. Five. I mean, if you have yeah. six power plays, right, then, I mean, that's 10% of the game of a 60-minute game, yeah. you know, power play and penalty kill combined. So sometimes obviously it's north of that. Sometimes it's less than that. Um, I would agree with you as well. I think it's, you know, I'd use save percentage to mo- to kind of show the goalies value more than I do goals against, but goals against is the team stat. So that's the one that I would want there. Shaving goals like Barry Trotz shaved 102 goals season to season in New York and the difference that it made. Uh, the second one, he said, which one is more likely to happen? Only two choices here. The Flyers make the playoffs, or the Flyers get a top two pick in the 2023 NHL Entry Draft, where obviously you've got two spectacular players at the top. So let's take the let's take the odds out of it, the the lottery odds, because the highest odds you can have are 18 and a half percent, you yeah. know, to get the second pick, 13 and a half percent with the second worst record. So let's take the odds out of it. What's more likely to happen? They make the playoffs or finish as a bottom one or two teams
1: in the league. I don't think, I don't think even on paper now, the Flyers are bottom one or two teams in the league. I know, I know there's a, you know, a, uh, an element of the fan base I just believe this seems a, so atrocious. The, oh, and 82. Uh, Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. They're not, they're not. And if the team is reasonably healthy this year, just that alone, before you add, before you add in the coaching and the structure and, you know, hopefully, some players stepping up and/or bouncing back. You know, I, I don't think this is a bottom a bottom two team. So, playoffs are a tall order, but I think the I think the odds of the Flyers finishing with the worst record, the second worst record in the HR are not really all that high either. Um, you know, if things can work out in a way we were talking about with the, you know, some special teams improvement and five on five process gets fixed. Then all of a sudden you're you're a little bit more in the mix. I I I would say that it's I have right now on paper less than fifty fifty confidence in the Flyers being a playoff team, just truthfully. Now that could change as the season goes along and hopefully will change. But I, I really I really don't think this is a bottom two team. So I'll I'll take the playoffs between those two.
0: Yeah, I would too. Um I mean look at like Chicago has just decimated that roster, right? it looks like they may trade Patrick Kane at some point here as well, whether they do before the season or at the deadline and involve a third team to take on some salary in that exchange. So, um, well, I'm not sitting here saying, I don't think either are likely, no. but, um, the question was what's more likely. Uh, and the last one, well, actually, we have one more after this, but kind of a fun one. Um, which is more likely at the trade deadline for the flyers, a sellers, B buyers or
1: three, they stand pat. Uh, I would say again, I, since I, I would say sellers more, more, more like the more likely option of the two. And this time they have some guys who could be rentals. And I know Giroud was a rental last year. Yeah, you know, this year uh, a, a guy like JVR would bring in interest as a rental, for example. Yeah. Maybe for a full year of salary, you know. And and it, when it's a rental situation too, you can eat you can eat some salary as yeah. well. So. Which makes it much easier, obviously, to accomplish. No, it, makes it much easier to move a guy. Now, I don't know, you know, you're going to get any dramatic return, but you know, so I, I, I do see the, I do see the Flyers as sellers. Um, if they don't get Travis Sandheim signed, there's going to be a lot of interest in him. Yeah, and that's a guy you could actually get some value for. So I, you know, I, I, since I don't see the Flyers on paper right now being a team that's really in the mix for a playoff spot, I see they. Be a little bit below the cutoff looking up I, I i would think that the uh the seller option is the more likely they would yeah they've
0: made some moves and and moved some guys at the deadline in, in the sell off but a couple of key guys the last couple of years they didn't risk a line in they opted to resign when they knew the season was not going to land them in the playoffs and same thing with scott Lawton the year prior so yeah we'll see if yeah. that conti- st- stays to form with travis sanheim uh should that kind of situation arise all right uh Riddy's last question: He says, "Which past flyer would you want in your golf foursome?" Bill Meltzer, who's in your foursome? Just just one guy that you're going to put in your foursome with a couple of buddies to join you guys. Who is the who's the flyer?
1: Well, if, we, if we're competing here, there's one flyer who became a professional golfer, Dan Quinn. So yeah, <laughs> yeah. So uh, I got to go with Quinn, or just because he's probably the best golfer who ever played for the Flyers. Uh, oh. Gary Greenhofer is a hell of a golfer, too.
0: You know who else is? Justin Williams.
1: Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Willie's a hell of a golfer.
0: Yeah, so. won the club, club championship yeah. uh, a couple yeah. times over uh, at White Marsh. Old Mikey Misses Club. And, yeah. Uh, yeah, real good player. So I'll take him in my foursome. Any other guys you want to add into your foursome?
1: i say, yeah, I'd said I would, I'd put Dorney in there. Um, mm-hmm. Dorney, was a, Dorney was a great golfer um, when he was younger. Um I don't let's see. I'm trying to think of the other guys who just really excelled at golf. I look I look, I look I for a guy's going to give me good stories on the cart ride because I don't walk. You know, actually you know you know what? Joe Watson. <laughs> Joe Joe loves the golf and uh has there's a, has a million stories and uh you know. Yeah, so I I think I think Joe would be fun and uh you know, I, and I mean there's I don't know. A guy like Todd Fedoric might be fun too. Maybe not, maybe not, you know, maybe not for winning, but I, I just, you know, Fridge, Fridge keeps everything really hard and he's a, he's, a, he's a fun, you know, fun person to be around. So I would. I've yeah. actually played golf with Fridge. Yeah. We,
0: uh, a couple, this is Scott, probably like seven years ago at this point when the, like the Legion of Doom was back together at one of the Flyers charity golf tournaments. And my, in my foursome was Fridge and, Rennie, Michael Renberg, Renberg, well, who could hit the ball? A, he's got these huge legs and a hockey butt. Hit oh, yeah. the
1: ball a ton.
0: Yeah, yeah. Just I, I crushed
1: it. I, I know. I know he crushed it. Michael was always more of a tennis player than, mm-hmm. you know, as a passion than golf. I, I actually thought about Rennie possibly too, but yeah, yeah. yeah. He, he could, you know, if you when, when he played softball a few times, Michael would crush the ball. So. Oh, so yeah.
0: powerful. Yeah. Yeah. Eh, I ended up beating them anyway. <laughs> His short game was oof, yeah. <laughs> not a great thing, but yeah, I love those guys that can tell you great stories. I will tell you one guy, you got to be careful if you have him in your foursome for a couple of reasons, and that's Coatsy. Because yeah. when you're putting, he doesn't shut up, you can't concentrate, you'll laugh your rear end off the entire time, and you may up, end up needing a ride home. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so That's basically a nutshell of Playing 18 yeah. with uh, Steve Coates, and that'll never change. The 19th might um, last for two hours. So, you know. Yeah, he starts on the 19th. He's a shotgun <laughs> starter.
1: Right, exactly. <laughs>
0: By shotgunning a beer. <laughs> his his uh, reputation is very well earned. Uh, so, thanks to Ed uh, Riddy uh, at OC Stagger on Twitter for those uh, great questions. Great to have those. If anybody wants to send stuff like that for uh, Bill and I, just uh, DM myself or Billy. And we will get them into an uh, upcoming episode. Great stuff, Bill. We're counting down the days. It's not far off, and uh, we'll be that back at it uh, soon enough. The calm before the proverbial storm is here, and we'll get back at training camp uh, here in a couple of weeks. Everybody, thanks for listening to this episode of Flyers Daily. We'll be back on Wednesday for the last episode of August to go back to the beginning. Everybody, have a great Monday, and we'll talk to you on Wednesday's brand new Flyers Daily.